honestly, I, I feel like I might be a snowbird one day. I know. Like, I never understood it yeah. until, like, probably two, three years ago, I started telling Levi, right. like, I get it. I get it. Uh-huh. Like, I yeah. like the snow, and I like to yes. see it and let the kids mm-hmm. play in it, but then I want it gone, yeah. and I want to yeah. be warm. <laughs> Me too. That's what I want. I just want that feeling of warmth on my skin, like where you can feel it soaking in. Yeah. I hate, I just, I'm so tired yes. of being cold all the time. Yeah. And like, it's yeah. fine on a cold day to sit there and snuggle up and like read a book for a little while. And then it's like, okay, can we just like go outside and mm-hmm. a sleeveless top and like bake yeah. in the sun? <laughs> yes, please. Oh, and I just get so tired of all the like snow pants and the gloves and the toques and like the thick jackets and it's just messy. Toques. Is that, that's what you call a hat, right? Like a, like a sock oh, cap or a, a sock cap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that a lot of Americans call them beanies. Yeah, I which think some to me, do. Like a beanie is like a little stuffed animal, like a beanie baby, you know? Mm, yeah. I always do think you know of beanies as like the hats with like the little like whirly thing on the top. Really? Like the little, <laughs> I mean, some um, Americans call them beanies, the but I've always called them, yeah. I've always called them like sock caps or like stocking cap or I don't know, hat. <laughs> I think I really think you guys should start calling them toques because like just to confuse that everyone. is what they are. <laughs> no, to make it like to make it like the same across the board because <gasps> Americans have all different names for it. Canadians just have one name for it. So I feel like it would make sense if you guys just would just assimilate would be a little very bit culturally relevant to make everyone the same. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Okay. Are you really... ready to start? <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Welcome to the Boom Clap Podcast. You got Rita talking here, starting us off. Um, We're going to talk today a little bit about education from the perspective of we both do things a little bit differently. Cecily homeschools her children. Um, Mine go to a, um, I guess you would consider it a Christian Montessori school. And this last year has been a year, I think, of rethinking the way we do things in general. Um, For me, I guess I really... I really have just been looking at everything I'm doing and, you know, why am I doing this? Does it make sense? Does it uh, lead us to the direction we want to go? Does it fit within my values? And the other day, uh, Cecily and I were just having a random, you know, conversation back and forth on Voxer. And I don't even remember what we were talking about, Cecily, but uh, it led to her bringing up her um, way of teaching her children and what she cares about and values in education. And I was like, yes, right on. Like I've had so many conversations like this lately. And um, she was just saying, you know, that she really um, wants her kids to know how to think and use logic and study and understand things um, more so than just repeating a bunch of random facts. And um, I was talking about how some of the uh, moms who have children going to my kids' school, we were talking recently, and just the education is a little bit different there. And there's not as much emphasis on some of the things you would think are traditionally important. 
and a little more emphasis on individual skills and learning um, and researching. You know, they'll pick projects and do a research project. And uh, one of the moms had been concerned with just something, uh, something small. And we were just talking about work because we both work at the hospital. And I said, when's the last time somebody came up to you and was like, you know, you you have really good math skills. That mm-hmm. STEM you learned in school is awesome. Like you're doing so good. You know, <laughs> nobody mm-hmm. comes up and, you know, appreciates that skill. They appreciate mm-hmm. your um, ability to uh, interact socially, your ability to uh, prioritize, your logic, your uh, – common sense application, right? Those are the really valuable things. And we don't really cover those a lot in school. So um, this is just going to be like about thinking outside the box. It's not a condemnation of public school at all, just an opportunity to consider what we're doing and is it really serving us well. So Cecily, um, I think your perspective is super interesting because your husband's a public school teacher. Mm -hmm. You did I think send your kids to public school for a while now homeschool? So can you just give us a little background on that whole choice and that thought process? Yeah, totally. So just to clarify, we never did send our kids to public school. We sent them to a small private school. Okay, I'm sorry. But you should be. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> totally kidding. But yes, my husband is a public school teacher. He teaches at our local public high school. Um so what were you asking? You were just asking just um, background what on that. Like background, just background yeah. on like how you decided to, I guess, go from that public or mm-hmm. private school, I'm sorry, yeah. to homeschool and kind of what right. your decision was yeah. or decision process. Yeah. I mean, if I'm honest, I would say that our decision to homeschool was like delayed obedience, um, which is essentially disobedience because I felt that God had put it on my heart before my oldest even started school. Like something about sending him to school um, felt wrong inside of me. Not that sending my kids to that sending kids to school is wrong. I don't believe that at all. I think that education choice is a beautiful thing, and there's more than one way to uh, skin a cat, so to say, as like when it comes to education. So I'm not saying that, but something inside of me, I was convicted um, that I should have my kids at home, and I didn't know why. And at that time, I was like. I didn't really know anyone that homeschooled. It felt super unusual. I honestly am not like a real kid person. Um, I love my kids, obviously. But before I got married, I never even saw myself having kids. Like, I just, I'm not good at getting into imagination. Like, I'm not a little kid person. So part of me was looking forward to them being at school. But this bigger chunk of me was so convicted that they needed to be home. So We did send our kids to school until my oldest was in grade two and my middle child was in kindergarten. And we then, like our school here starts in September, and we pulled them out at the end of September of the grade two year in the kindergarten year because I had reached a point inside where that delayed obedience, um, disobedience, was causing me like so much distress, um, tears, and um, anxiousness. So I still can't pinpoint it exactly, but I know God was telling me something. So some of the reasons that we finally pulled the trigger and decided to homeschool was that we were realizing that the school was getting our kids best hours. I mean, they wake up in the morning and then we would, you know, rush to get ready for school and we would drive them over to school and 
Um, they'd come home tired and exhausted. They were little at this time. And I, so I don't know what it's like for older kids, but they were exhausted. And then we would have to read with them the assigned reading from school and no one enjoyed it. It was like, it felt torturous for our family. Um, so that was one reason we were giving the school, our kids best hours, and then our family was feeling depleted. Um, another reason that I kept them home that eventually led me to pull that trigger was that I just really, I like them as much as I'm not a kid person. I do love having my kids around. I mean, they're hilarious. They are fun. They, um, keep it interesting. We have, good conversations, but mostly like we just like to laugh and I just like having them around when it was summertime and they were in school. Well, when they were in school, but it was summer break, I always would dread summer break ending. Like I would just have rather to have them home. Um, another big reason, and this is going to be no surprise because this is something Rita and I talk about often is that just our values. Like I was having a lot of trouble, um, feeling like I was effectively, sharing and instilling my values with my kids just because of the fact that our time was limited. And like I said before, the time that I was with them, it felt like we had a checklist of things that we had to get done and we were all exhausted. Um, and then let's see, I also just really felt like, and this is thinking deeply for the age my kids were, and I, I tend to do that, but I was thinking ahead and I really wanted my kids to have this space to figure out who they are rather than like in the school environment, kind of being who they think they need to be or who people want them to be. Because we can all have grandiose ideas of like our kids are going to go to school and they're going to be a light and they're going to, you know, be a witness and all of that. And that's great. And it's possible. But I knew I know that when I was in elementary school, my um, I wasn't developed enough mentally or spiritually and emotionally to be who I was. You know what I mean? Like, I was yeah. constantly trying to be who I thought I needed to be to fit in or to be a good student. And it really delayed my actual development. <laughs> Um, is how I feel. And I didn't want that for my kids. I wanted them to have the space to figure out who they are. But then honestly, the biggest reason that we decided to go for it is just that God had a plan. Like he really did. Like I said, if it was just up to my own natural abilities and plans, my kids would be in school and we would be doing the regular thing and I would be working or doing something. Um, but God had a plan and I think also in addition to his plan or part of his plan is my refinement <laughs> because my flaws are many and they're plentiful and they're in my face a lot of the time. And one of my big flaws with my kids is the fact that I'm not like a kid person. Like I didn't even like reading with my kids before I started homeschooling. I didn't like having them on my lap to read a book. I hated doing crafts with them. Like if I could be left alone, I would be left alone. And I feel terrible even admitting that, but that is just the truth. And I needed refinement and God knew it. And he forced me into something that was not comfortable for me and was not natural for me, but he used it to bring about the most comfort and the most natural thing that I've ever experienced. So 
it's just really interesting how he sometimes, you know, takes our very, very rough edges and, you know, painfully sometimes sands them down. Now I love reading with my kids and I love learning with them. And we, we will read chapter books together and picture books and we will talk about all sorts of things. And I'm no longer just spending snippets of hurried time with them after school, checking off the to-do list, but like we're digging in deep and like getting to know each other and getting to know God. And that's the big thing. God had a plan, but as far as my husband being a public school teacher, sorry guys, that was like a long story, (laughs) but, um, my husband, public school teacher, he was raised in a public school. Like he went to the public school elementary here. And then he went to the local public high school. Then he went off to the public university. And then he came back and started teaching at the very high school that he went to. And I am so glad he is because he's so good at it. And he, um, is a great witness in a place where he's not even supposed to be a witness according to the world standards. And he is incredibly faithful in his job and it's amazing to see. And I'm super proud of him, but because of his history, it just took him longer to get on board with the idea of homeschool. He always imagined the kids being in public school. And then when they were older, going to his school and he would be coaching them and he probably will still be coaching them one day, but he won't necessarily be teaching them in the classroom. We don't know if they're going to go to high school or not, or if they're going to stay home, we don't know. But he came around to it because he was feeling that same conviction that I was like, God was working on both of our hearts at the same time. And now that we are homeschooling and have, this is our third year, he and I both are so thankful for it. And it's become super clear that there's a huge contrast between what he experiences in the public school and what we experience with education at home. Um, So the content of what we cover is the same, but different. Like we talk about all the things they talk about in school, but our focus is different. The messaging is different. And it's not just a let's learn the facts and take a test. It's like, let's learn the down and dirty of like what happened. Um, let's learn the injustice of it. Let's learn the good that was in it and, um, go forward and, and, you know, take everything that we can from it. So I think mainly it's the messaging. And then also, I mean, our days are quicker in the sense of dedicated school hours because there's not that classroom management piece that consumes so much of a school teacher's time. And without that component, it just opens up our day um, to dig a little deeper. So he's really appreciative of homeschool now, but it just took a little while for him to get on board. Yeah. So I want to go back to the first part of the question, just some of the Mm -hmm. things you said. Um, You really followed your intuition and, Mm -hmm. you know, what you were feeling. And I think that so often, and I want to reiterate, this is not a plug for homeschool. Like you should be homeschooling your kids Mm -hmm. um, at all. I just wanted Cecily to give her background um, Mm -hmm. and highlight the fact that, you know, she wasn't somebody who felt capable to homeschool. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times we feel these things like Cecily was feeling and um, shove those back down because, and we don't listen to that. You know, we just mm-hmm. kind of shove that back down. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it's just because society has a way of doing things. Like mm-hmm. you have your kids and then, you know, they go to kindergarten at five. And a lot of times mm-hmm. where I live, people are sending their kids to school three days a week for, or I mean, sorry, 
five days a week at three years old Mm -hmm. for preschool even, you know, and that's fine if that's your choice, but is it really a choice you made or do you just think you were supposed to do that? You know, and so the whole point of this is just thinking about, are you doing it because you think that's what people do? Are you doing that because that's what you think is right Mm -hmm. for your kids and your family? And so just understanding there's a different way of doing things and listening to that intuition. And one reason this topic is so on my heart right now is just I keep hearing, you know, all these people going to school boards about opening schools and reopening and pushing for their kids to be back in school. Mm -hmm. And I understand. I get it. I'm not saying that's wrong. I absolutely get it. Um, There Mm -hmm. are parents that are really struggling right now. There are single moms that are having a hard time, you know, getting food on the table because Mm -hmm. they have their kids at home and they don't Mm -hmm. have any, you know, they can't do anything. You know, there's, there are Mm -hmm. people that are really struggling, but there are some people I think that this is a real opportunity and a wake up call for Mm -hmm. because this system somewhat has gotten us to where we are. And Mm -hmm. I think that, um, God has given us an opportunity and some of us have or need to see it that way instead of Mm -hmm. like just pushing for something because we think it's what we're supposed to push for. So anyway, the intuition of it, I think is great. Cecily, just um, hearing that and your lack of feeling like you had the ability and then, Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously you do, you're doing a great job at it. So um, there's days. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure as Mm -hmm. with parenting always. Right. Um, so you pretty much covered the second part. I don't know if you have anything else to add. If there's, you know, what Kyle thinks, if there's any difference in, you know, the way he sees the kids learning, if they're, um, he sees a difference in like what they're picking up or anything. Yeah. Like one thing that we've both really noticed is just the kids' confidence levels, um, which I know that's not really anything they're learning, but they have just become really confident people like that will talk well to adults and hang well with kids that are younger or older. And that's something that has changed and evolved. And it's um, something that's definitely in contrast to what he's seeing in the school system. Um, And then what else? One other thing that Kyle really notices is that even just the way their school day starts. I mean, every day they have morning announcements and I'm not going to say what it is they say, because that's not what we're talking about today. And that could open up a whole other can of worms. But what I will say is it's repetitive messaging every day. It's a repetitive message that they get first thing in the morning. And whether that message is negative or positive is irrelevant. It's actually, it's a pretty neutral message in my opinion. It has good and it has bad. But the problem with it is that they hear it in such a repetitive way that it actually, I think, makes the words lose meaning and it numbs it for them. And that's something that he sees a lot in the school, um, that there's things you can say, there's things you can't say, and that's about it. Whereas at home, there's nothing that's off the table. Like I want my kids to ask questions that, you know, maybe even poke at my beliefs or poke at different things. I want to engage them with those questions. Whereas in the school, that is not encouraged. And when Kyle has engaged with kids that have asked him questions, he has been 
talked to and written up (laughs) for answering honestly. So it's very much like opinions are censored in the school and thoughts are censored. Whereas at home it's, it's, they get free reign to just completely question things. And I think that's a healthy thing. And that's one of the main reasons that keeps us homeschooling right now. Yeah, I fully agree. You want your kids to be able to critically think. And if they're Mm -hmm. not, I mean, one thing I see so much is people shy away from tough conversations. Like Mm -hmm. everybody just wants to listen to the news and get their opinion from the news. And I find that my opinions are my own when I can discuss something with someone I disagree with. And Mm -hmm. my opinion either is changed or comes out stronger, you know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so we're promote by discouraging tough conversations from the start in school, you're training mm-hmm. kids that that's wrong somehow. Yeah. And then they grow into adults that can't have the tough conversation, you know? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that's tragic. Yeah, it is. And I, I mean, whether you guys believe it or not, I really think schooling, and I'm not saying teachers are bad or to blame or, mm-hmm. you know, individuals, but the system as a whole has kind of led us to this point. Um, So in the conversation that we had, Cecily, you said Mm -hmm. something like um, what I want to teach my kids more than anything. It wasn't something like this. Like this is what you Mm -hmm. said. And it was really passionate. Um, (laughs) You're like, what I want to teach my (laughs) kids. I was probably talking loudly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) More than anything is logic. I don't care Mm -hmm. if they can recite all kinds of random crap. I really don't. They might put They might put it in their short-term memory and spit it out for a test, but I want them to learn how to think long-term so they're prepared to know how to critically think. Um, And you said something about like communicate, like expert communication. I can't remember exactly. I trailed off there. But um, Mm -hmm. basically, like you want logic and reason more than Mm -hmm. just like short-term, you know, fact storage. And I think that that's a good point. And I really agree, like a hundred percent wholeheartedly agree. And Mm -hmm. my husband and I, Levi and I have conversations about this all the time. Like Mm -hmm. history is so important to know, for example. Um, but less important are the dates that you memorize. Like when world war one happened, when world war two happened, Mm -hmm. like knowing those Mm -hmm. dates, like that's Mm -hmm. kind of the emphasis in school. At least I feel like when I was Mm -hmm. in school, instead of like knowing what happened, seeing why it happened and preventing that from happening again. Like that's more important, right? Totally. And so um, I want you to elaborate a little more what it means to you and why you're so passionate about it. Yeah. Okay. So I'll try not to get too long-winded here. (laughs) But the first thing I want to make sure that I'm communicating is that I'm not trying to tell my kids what to think. And I do not ever want that to be the case, but I want to teach them and give them the tools to know how to think. So there's a big difference there between telling them what to think and how to think. And that's something, unfortunately, that my husband Kyle is seeing in the public school system. Kids are being told what to think and what's acceptable and what's not. And I don't want that. I want them to know how to think. So that's critical thinking skills. We live in a world where we're led to believe that truth is completely malleable. And there's competing ideas and competing opinions and religions. And honestly, most of it is clear as mud. (laughs) You know what I mean? But there's, I see so much value in being able to sift through information to find answers and to find causes and to find rationale. 
And there's so much value in being given the tools and the freedom to question beliefs and also cement them. Like you said earlier, like when you're in a conversation with someone where you might have differing ideas, usually what happens is you either learn a little bit more about them and it doesn't change your mind or you cement your beliefs, you know, like, I don't know. I just believe that if a child can learn to think critically and recognize truth, then that is one of the most valuable things that we can give them. And like you said, like, I think that of one way that the school system has evolved into measuring success is on how many facts a kid can remember. So that might be dates or it might be middle names or whose father um, was that, you know what I mean? Like information that's not necessarily relevant and like, congratulations, you might get a hundred percent on your test because you know, all these random facts that they're using to try to test your knowledge. But do you know why world war two began? Do you know why Hitler had this ideology that was so harmful? Like, do you know why, um, an entire culture's, um, beliefs shifted and like do you know how to look at those scenarios and to take be able to like recognize the bad recognize the cause and on the flip side are you able to look at things and see the beauty and not just spit out the facts and I just I don't know I just more than anything I want my kids to be able to think logically, to think critically, not that all emotion will be removed, but I want them to know that our emotions are such powerful things. Um, They're such changing things. And that when we operate solely based on emotion, we're in a really dangerous spot because the logical centers in our brain are so much more, I mean, the the emotional centers in our brain are so much more powerful than the logical side. They will just shut down if we don't work to switch them on. And just like with training any muscle or working out, like your brain is a muscle that needs to be exercised too. And you need to learn how to switch on those logical, um, critical thinking skills. So that's my goal. And again, like I really don't care if they can recite all sorts of facts. I want them to know the roots, the roots of the things that are going to help them be um, good adults one day that are going to help them to not repeat history, but to um, be really helpful members of society and to be a good witness. So that's it. Yeah. And especially that emotional centers being more powerful. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's a constant refining to try to engage the logic, you know, and I mean, we're given emotions. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, Like for a reason, but yeah. Yeah. Yes. We need our emotions, but you have to (laughs) like engage that logic. Right. Totally. So when you were talking, I was thinking my, on a different subject, but similar, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. was thinking about, I don't know if you guys have standardized standardized, geez Louise, I can't talk, standardized testing there, Mm -hmm, but I'm assuming mm -hmm. you do. Um, That's a big thing in the States. And um, it's just interesting that I think a lot of parents would agree that the standardized testing isn't necessarily a measure of how smart Mm -hmm. their kid is or how good their kid is doing. But at the same time, 
a lot of parents feel like a failure if their kids mm. don't do well from that standpoint. And there's you know, a few moms that I talk to that their kids are maybe not excelling in the same way as other kids are. But mm. in the public school system, they're very much made to um, fit into this certain box and know these certain things or they're not mm. doing well. And mm-hmm. these kids are amazing, brilliant kids in other areas. And they're probably not going to do the same things as other kids, mm-hmm. you know. And it's just interesting how that emphasis is there and how teachers do have to emphasize it because funding and, yeah. um, you know, your school's status and all this stuff is based mm-hmm. on how kids do on these tests. Mm-hmm. And so, we, you know, they have to fight to do well on these things that aren't necessarily a measure of, mm-hmm. you know, anything. And right. so it's just really interesting to think about. And mm-hmm. um, while we were, you know, we knew we were going to talk about this. I had mentioned to Cecily, like, it'd be kind of interesting to research the history of the school system and, you know, uh, public schooling and all of that. Like, when did it start? Because I think, like, in any of this, in any of the things we talk about, when you go back and look at the history of it, you can kind of see why it was put there. And, um, it kind of leads you into like, is this right for me? Like looking at the history mm-hmm. of it. So I'm not going to read through all of this, but there was one part I looked up and I just thought it was interesting. Um, the idea, it said the idea of progressive education, um, educating the child to reach his full potential and actively promoting um, participating in democratic society. This is for the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. Began in the late 1800s and was widespread by the 1930s. And it says John Dewey was the founder of this movement. And so I would just encourage you to look up a little bit about him Mm -hmm. if you're in the States and the history of schooling in general. Um, I don't know. It it was just interesting because you look up about him and it talks about how he believes social reform should take place in the school, Mm -hmm. which you might not find I don't know, scary or (laughs) anything, but I do because I think parents should be the ones helping to shape and form and mold your children. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. I just think that teaching one line of thought or using school to promote one way of thinking into society Mm -hmm. is a little bit scary. Right. Okay. So moving on. Sorry. That was a little bit of a side note. (laughs) Well, I think also it's worth noting, like like Rita said, the school system started in the 1800s, right? Like there were different types of schooling before then, but this idea of like, we're all going to send our kids to one place to be educated, that is relatively new. So for me, when I was struggling to come to this decision to homeschool because it felt so different and so outside of the box... It's not really because in the grand scheme of humanity, yeah, this schooling thing is pretty new. Not educating, not educating your kids, but the actual school model. Yeah, really good point. Really good point. Um, yeah. And I was talking to a friend a while back and we were talking about that, what I was talking about earlier. Like, are we really fighting to go back to something that is beneficial to us or mm-hmm. – are we just fighting for it because we think that's what we're supposed to fight for? And right. just talking about how our tax dollars work in our state, you know, we pay taxes and a lot of that, you know, is goes to the state and then they redistribute it where mm-hmm. it's needed. You know, it's not spent mm-hmm. locally. And so a right. lot of our tax dollars here in Illinois downstate go up to Chicago and we don't even mm-hmm. see that. And I said, wouldn't it be interesting if 
instead of having these public schools of sorts that are so um, overarching, you know, like there's federal oversight or state oversight, like wouldn't it be interesting if we just kept those tax dollars locally and had Mm. schools that really took care of the local Mm. kids? You know, Mm. I just – I – had just like can reimagine things and Mm -hmm. it seems so much more fulfilling and helpful to, I don't know, helpful and loving, I guess, but it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not like an mm -hmm. easy fix or something that could be redone easily, but it's interesting to think about. It is. And I mean, also what one thing we're always all striving for is diversity, right? But when we have, you know, we'll use your state as an example, things are different in Chicago than they are where you are, but they're using the dollars in the same way, essentially. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whereas if things were more localized, um, we would be really diverse. Like your state would be really diverse. Yeah. And that's a good thing. If we could all get along, that would be a really good thing, right? That would be like a beautiful thing if it was diverse and we knew how to think so that we could engage peacefully with each other. Yeah, for sure. Yep. So we, Cecily and I are going to talk to you about values a lot. Like Mm -hmm. that is the foundation of this Mm -hmm. podcast, I feel like. So yeah. um, So far, every episode we've talked about it. But um, yeah, logic, reason, knowing how to separate fact, opinion, think deeply, communicate. I think that all leads to confidence and strength. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that earlier that you see your kids being more confident. So I think that those being able to do that, being able to think and use logic and um, communicate really do add confidence and strength in, in your character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are both huge assets when it comes to living within your values. Um, do you think, Cecily, the fact that young adults have like kind of had that crucial piece brushed over in their education Mm -hmm. um, with more of a focus on STEM and, you know, Mm -hmm. getting that, you know, standardized test right and all of that um, maybe plays a role in their lack of confidence and in researching for themselves. Like right now I'm seeing people say, well, people don't know how to research for themselves. And there's literally people that think they just need to listen to the news because I don't know how to research. Like, I don't know. I don't have the degree. And Um, so do you think that that leads to a willingness to participate in groupthink and peer pressure and um, all of that. Totally. I mean, like in a previous episode, maybe it was even the last one, we talked a little bit about social pressure. And this is very much the same sort of thing. And like going to STEM, STEM is awesome, right? Like we need STEM, obviously. Yeah. But um, it's like but, the whole focus right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's this push to get more kids into STEM, particular. I don't know about down there, but for us up here, they're really pushing for girls to get into STEM. Mm-hmm. They want to see yeah. more girls in STEM, which is fine. If a girl is gifted in STEM and she's passionate about it, like, because we're talking about confidence here. If you are confident in STEM and it bring, it lights you up, great. I, I love that. But I don't want STEM to be like, the gold standard and everything else falls short. So kind of my thought with this is that for me and for my kids, I want to observe what my kids' strengths and passions are, and maybe it'll be STEM and maybe it won't, but whatever those gifts and passions are, that's what I want to lean into because that's what God has planned for them. And he has instilled something inside of them. And he's obviously got some calling for them within their gifts and their passions. Um, 
So I don't want to try to force a square peg into a round hole for the sake of society seeing a certain version of success. I want them to do what they were born to do, which maybe that sounds a little dramatic, but we were all born for a reason. There's no one here by accident. Like God has a specific plan for each of us. And I can tell you, He didn't gift me in math (laughs) and and I am not, I'm not going to try to force myself to do that. Like I know enough. I know the basics. I know enough to like be a successful adult, but I'm not going to like, you know, I'm not going to build a bridge or something. Right. Like, you know, you don't want me to do that, (laughs) but there are people that are made to do stuff like that. And that is awesome. So I just want to help my kids, to give them the tools to, see what God has put inside of them and to lean into that and engage that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I know it sounds like I'm picking on STEM and things, but it's not that. It just feels here Mm -hmm. to me at least like it's less about doing what's right for your kid to be successful and more about society in general being successful and able to compete Mm -hmm. with other countries. That's what it appears like to me. And. It's like you look at the great uh, inventors of the world, you Mm -hmm. know, people that really did utilize STEM, so to speak, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's a creativity process also. It's not thinking inside this like totally uh, mathematical, analytical box. It's, you know, using those really outside the box thought skills that we're Mm -hmm. not necessarily focusing Mm on. So like. Galileo is a great example of that. Like we did a space, we tend to do unit studies in our homeschool where we'll like focus in on one subject and we'll use that to do language arts and science and, you know, social studies. And Mm -hmm. we did space a few months ago and we learned about Galileo and he had obviously a mind for STEM, right? Like an amazing mind for STEM. But what made him interested in that was, God, like he wasn't just like a STEM robot. Yeah. He had this faith that caused him to want to know the answers to the universe. And it was just a really beautiful thing. Not that he's a perfect man by any means, but it was just a beautiful thing to see um, a holistic human being, not just like, here's one thing, but like all these pieces that create a man and he used them to make a huge impact on the world. I might be wrong, but wasn't he like called crazy and like kind of um I he may have been. I don't know. Honestly, I didn't Okay, I'm gonna look that him. up after this because But I, I feel I'm pretty sure this is who I'm thinking of. There's a really yeah. good backstory on. Yeah. I just feel though like a lot of people that are super genius are ahead of their time I, and nobody wants to yeah. listen to them and they're called nuts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like the- Which I think is a huge learning experience. Like right now when people are being called crazy, I'm like, how do you know? Like we don't know everything. Right. I think it's very arrogant to feel like, oh, oh we know everything there is to know. We well, don't. that's just it. And that's the purpose of science. Like if we're celebrating science so much, to, in order we? to prove a yeah. scientific <laughs> hypothesis, you need to try to prove it wrong. Right? You got to ask a question. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. (laughs) We could just go on, right? (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So let's kind of wrap this up here and end with Mm -hmm. like something proactive. So I really believe reason and logic are mostly left out 
And mm-hmm. y'all listening to this might disagree, but I do right. think deep thinking, reason, and logic are mm-hmm. left out of school, mm-hmm. like traditional schooling. Yeah. And so well, – Also, just to interject and then I'll let you yeah. continue. I think each teacher brings something to their classroom environment too. So there's probably great teachers out there that despite the mainstream, they probably really do want their kids to, you know, learn logic and some of these things that we're talking about. And we recognize that. So we're not painting everything with the same brush. Yeah, but for sure. just saying what we see a lot of. Yes. Agree. Yeah. And to the point of the you know, standardized testing and things, regardless Mm -hmm. of what a teacher wants to be teaching. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they're left with their hands tied. Exactly. So um, just that like anything that seems kind of deep seems somewhat led and just like, um, like trying to force kids to think similarly, I guess, instead Mm of um, holding up their differences, I guess. So Mm -hmm. anyway, so if the school isn't teaching it, if they're not getting it at school, it leaves the parents, you know, that one mm-hmm. party, the parents mm-hmm. responsible. Yeah. And so if you – whether you're homeschooling or not, like you might not be homeschooling, but you still have time at home with your kids to, um, you know, help solidify these processes and help them. Um, you know, my kids are in school right now, but we mm-hmm. talk a lot at home about mm-hmm. current events, about mm-hmm. um, things going on, history, and, you know – the what and why of it, like Cecily said. And mm-hmm. we we encourage questions, you know, and even Bible talk. Like my kids will ask me questions. I'm like, well, that's a really good question. Right. <laughs> and so <laughs> then we have to, yeah. you know, figure it out together. So yes. um, what would you say to parents, Cecily, listening? How would you encourage them to instill these, um, you know, this way of teaching in their home to help their kids like with these processes, I guess. Yeah. So I probably have a lot to say about that, but I would start with like, know yourself. Um, like, like I said, at the beginning, I was having trouble making sure I had the time to talk about values with my kids and beliefs with my kids. And so know yourself. I did what I had to do in order to make a radical change for our family to make sure that I was raising my kids the way that I felt called to. So that's what I would say, like, do what you have to do know and then know your kids like talk to them even when it's hard and exhausting and another thing i would say is don't expect them to adopt your beliefs blindly because that is one way to not raise a critical thinker <laughs> so don't expect them to adopt your beliefs blindly encourage them to ask questions it's our responsibility to engage their minds and it's up to us to show rationale for our beliefs Um, And I would also say, don't shy away from the reality of alternative beliefs, ideas, and opinions. There are many religions in this world, and it's up to us to know a bit about them so that we can tell our kids why we choose Jesus, right? And the same thing with different cultural ideas and opinions. Um, I would say we have to model for them what it looks like to engage our culture with wisdom and love. And I think it's our responsibility to soak their childhood in truth in a world that kind of has redefined truth. Pray together. Um, Also continually point out that the world is bigger than them because I'm pretty sure every child is born thinking that the world revolves around them. 
and they need to know that life is not about them. And that's not to say that we need to make them feel small. Um, we, we should be calling out the things that they're wonderful at while making it clear that that is so that they can serve, right? We need to show them that they're not perfect and that we are not perfect. So as parents, like Rita, you and I have talked about this a lot. Like we need to be real with our kids and we need to apologize when we need to. Mm -hmm. And we need to show our dependence on Jesus because so often in the West, it's easy to live these privileged lives um, of comfort and to kind of put Jesus on the side burner and to make him a Sunday thing. But we need to show that we are sinners dependent on Jesus. And we need to talk continually of the fact that our sin is what separated us from God, but Jesus entered into the dirt and disaster of our human lives to absorb the condemnation that we deserved and that he conquered death to guarantee us life. And I would just say above all, pray that your kids will understand that ultimate truth, um, because that truth is what dictates everything else, and pray that it will propel your kids forward to live their lives with true purpose. Beautiful. Nothing else I'm going to add to that. So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, mm-hmm. You can find me, Rita, at RitaRogersCo.com and at RitaRogersCo on Instagram. And you can find me, Cecily, at thegracetogrow.com and on Instagram at cecily.dickey. 